We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Pacer Nation, what is going on? Welcome back to another episode of Setting the Pace. I'm your host, Alex Golden, and joined today on Sunday, not with Kent Sterling, but with Indy Cornrow's lead podcast host, the one and only Mark Schindler. Mark, what's going on, man? Alex, I'm good. How are you doing, man? Thanks for having me on. Oh, I appreciate it. You know, we're about an hour late from the scheduled time we were just supposed to talk because my computer decided it was going to do 4,000 updates, but here we are, and uh, we're excited to talk Pacers basketball. So, you know, first things first, I want to talk a little bit about the coaching search today. I want to talk about, you know, the offseason for the Pacers, kind of like our expectations for it. And I also want to talk about Spencer Dinwiddie, uh, not Spencer, Peter Dinwiddie, excuse me. Uh, <laughs> you know, sorry, it's uh, there's only two Dinwiddies uh, that I that I even know with, uh, in the entire NBA. And of course, I got the wrong one. But the Pacers, Peter Dinwiddie is leaving to join the front office of the Philadelphia 76ers. So let's start there. That's more of the newsy stuff. I'm curious, you know, with the Pacers losing Dinwiddie, what does that mean for the franchise going forward? And, and what do you think it means for Philadelphia? Yeah, um, I think it's interesting, uh, especially because, well, I, I don't know if you know much about his story. I was not really aware of Dinwiddie until uh, until this weekend, to be completely honest with you. Uh-huh. Um, and it's funny because he has a really cool story in coming up from ticket sales originally into getting into his uh, previous job that he just had with the Pacers as um, you know senior VP of basketball ops. Um, so it's it's interesting because I don't know if you remember, but Elton Brand, when the season ended, they, he talked about wanting to get more basketball minds in there in terms of meaning like guys who played and um real hoopers no type stuff and, and so i just found it kind of funny that he he brought in somebody who's less of a not that he isn't a basketball mind i think there's always that that random divide that that doesn't need to be there but it's always you know it's made um so i thought it was interesting i think it's a good hire i mean anybody i don't think you could hire anybody from the pacers organization and say it's going to be a bad hire mm-hmm. uh, we have a, a, a really great front office in indiana um, 
for the Pacers, I, I mean, I, I haven't heard anything. <laughs> excuse me. No, you're good. In terms of who will uh, potentially be elevated or maybe brought in, um, but I mean, it's 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 always a loss when somebody who's been with the organization for over a decade uh, moves on. But um, I'm sure that that KP and, and Chad Buchanan are going to definitely have somebody in place who will uh, who will definitely step up admirably. Well, and what I find interesting too is uh, I believe it was Chad Buchanan's name who was floating around earlier, possibly for the Chicago job. Mm-hmm. So you yeah, know, he he turned that down, and then of course Pritchard's name kind of surfaced a little bit with Philadelphia. So when I saw that Dinwiddie was joining at first, I thought, well, thank God it's not Kevin Pritchard because that'd be crazy, especially right now during this you know, highly anticipated off season um, with with a coaching search going on right now. And I think you know, for me, Mark, I know you you you've talked to quite a few people on the inside, and I'm curious because. One of the things, like in the middle of a coaching search, in the middle of preparing for an off season, you know, you you're excited for a guy like Dinwiddie to go to Philadelphia. But how much of the blueprint of the Pacers off season does he have in you know in in his bank, you know, to to take with him to Philadelphia to maybe you know be able to offer more than what the Pacers are willing to offer and stuff like that for deals? Because that's always one thing that's intriguing to me. It's like, what kind of information do they know that could hurt the Pacers now that he's gone? Yeah, so um, that's a good question. I think, I mean, right away, obviously, I have to plug Caitlin Cooper. She put out a great piece on it when he moved. Um, so technically, he's going from third in, in in the pecking order in Indiana to second underneath Elton Brand in uh, in Philadelphia. So, I mean, I, I don't, I mean, I would assume that he's not just going to go in and be like, well, this is what the Pacers are trying to do this offseason. Right. Um, just from what I know and talking to league executives and um, and people like that, you know, that's the for the most part, there's a lot more integrity between um, between front offices than you think because you have to work with them so often. You know, it's, I think that's something we lose on. I, I remember when I did Sports Business Classroom, which is a really great program if you're trying to get into you know more heavily involved with sports. Uh, Wes Wilcox, who actually just got hired uh, as the assistant GM for the Kings, I remember talking to him. He talked about how when he was with Atlanta and he was the GM there, you know, one of the things he learned right away is that you're almost coworkers with everyone else who is. Uh, a front office leader in the league you know you, you're ne- rarely are you going to have a trade uh, like the tj warren trade and obviously i mean i think i've been pretty blatantly honest about that and you know obviously it's not the return that you you should get for a guy like tj warren and we saw that but it did a lot of good things for phoenix which i think we kind of negate sometimes in, in, in indiana but mm-hmm. my point is very off, like very rarely is it ever going to happen where there's a completely one-sided trade or completely one-sided deal and often these guys i mean they they have to talk to each other otherwise you know if you break that relationship you you burn the opportunity to continue conducting business with them and that's yeah. that's a death sentence so um i'm not really worried about him like exposing the blueprint or anything to elton brand uh or and and philly brass but i mean in, in terms of how it could impact the pacers i mean it just adds another job that you have to fill uh, another role that has to be filled like the coaching search um, yeah. You take another voice out of the circle that's that's got input on it and, and knows what they're talking about. So I think that um, I don't think it necessarily makes things more difficult, but it's another uh, kind of wrench thrown in for sure. Yeah, it's interesting because I know Dinwiddie, like you said, it's been a really cool story how he came up from ticket sales. And I, and I know from previous interviews that I've heard him on, he's a real big numbers guy. And so I'm sure that he's a numbers cruncher for the Pacers and kind of had everything laid out for him. And, you know, I think that's part of the reason Brand probably likes it. I'm sure they're thinking of ways maybe to try to 
you know, fix their salary cap issues. But it's it's always good to see your guys get hired by other teams and be coveted by other teams because that means your front office is doing something right, you know. Exactly. And, and if you look at it, last year the Pacers had the 29th, you know, highest payroll, so the second cheapest payroll, and they finished seventh in the uh, entire NBA and overall record. And I think that speaks volumes to a lot of people because that's the story here. It's like, how do you win without spending so much money? And, you know, we know, like the Pacers, hey, they didn't win a championship. You know, they didn't get out of the first round. They got swept. But they won, you know, almost 50 games if they had to play probably an 82-game season. So when it comes back to it, it's like this team was really successful without spending a ton of money. How can we get guys to – you know, come in here and maybe help us with our budget. And I think that's probably a lot of the reason Dinwiddie's going there. And I think I also read, I'm not sure who put this out there, but it was more so because I think you might have said it just recently. If I forgot, I apologize. But, uh, you know, he was the third string behind Pritchard and Buchanan, and now he's the second string with Elton Brand. And I think getting an opportunity to have a larger role was uh, part of the reason he actually decided to go to Philadelphia. Yeah. Yeah. No, 100%. I mean, I think that's, that's just, that's life. You know, you always want to try and get to the next point, not in a greedy way. I mean, yeah, he was with the organization for 14 years. So, I mean, you obviously not. Um, but yeah, I mean, it, it makes sense. It's not a lateral move or anything. Um, and I think Philadelphia, obviously as much of a, you know, crazy <laughs> ton of things that went on there this year and, um, how weird that environment was and, and the expectations they had, um, I mean, I think you look at Philadelphia just from a front office perspective, and I know in, in just my, you know, in, in looking at it in terms of, okay, well, how would I fix that roster? Not like I'm in that a position to do so, but uh, it's a really interesting canvas to work with. I think mm-hmm. it's just very different from the Pacers, you know, structure and, and how everything's done. The Pacers are super clean cut. Um, there's not really a lot of BS on the books. Um, Philly cannot say the same, but, yeah. you know, they, they have – a lot of really high-end contracts. I think there's a lot of interesting things they can do in terms of um, trying to go through the CBA. And that's one thing. I don't know if you've ever tried to read through the CBA, but it is uh, – I'm not a lawyer by any means, uh, but I feel like a lawyer after reading the CBA for about three <laughs> minutes, man. It is it is wordy. I mean the whole point of the CBA is to – A, I mean it's – yeah, of course it's supposed to iron everything out. But also it's to just discourage anything – from any shenanigans from happening. But – uh, I think the the best front offices find a way to to, to make little wrinkles occur. So, um, yeah, yeah, it's if he knows it well, which I, you know from everything I've heard, he does. Uh, that is a a great hire for Philadelphia. Yeah, and I and I you know speaking of BS, I'm going to say a big summer here for Philadelphia uh, with that acronym. <laughs> and you know, I mean, it's not a summer. I guess it's an off season. I always get confused with. Yeah, I keep with, saying summer, but I just <laughs> I, I'm like, you know what? It's the same thing. We'll it, pretend it, it's summer. Hopefully, it'll we, stay like nice outside. Everybody knows what we're talking about, but I mean, it is a, it's a big upcoming season for Philadelphia, and, and you know, bringing in Doc Rivers, paying him eight million dollars. They've got. You know, large contracts on their roster. There's not a lot of room to to make, you know, massive moves without trading one of their big studs. And so there's a lot that could happen in Philadelphia. So, you know, getting a guy like Dinwiddie in now probably was smart for them because that gives them a month to prepare before the uh, NBA draft. And I'm not even sure when NBA free agency is supposed to happen. I saw earlier this week from Sam Amico that it might actually happen. Free agency might happen prior to the draft. But I'm not sure about that since they did extend uh, the agreements uh, or the talks, I believe, with the Players Association yeah. uh, till like October 31st, something like that. So it'll be interesting whether yeah. it's before or after the draft, but there's a lot of things that could happen. And so, you know, as we, you know, approach this time, we're, we're still in the midst of the Pacers coaching search 
And I think now that it's been a week since the NBA Finals has been over, you know, they've been able to interview those Miami Heat candidates, and it seems like they're going to start narrowing down their people. And so I've seen kind of interesting reports. I'm not sure what to what to expect, but it looks like, according to Jay Michael, Dan Tony Billups and then one of Fincher, Dan Craig, is going to be one of the three finalists. But then it also appears that Chauncey could have a very good opportunity to be an assistant head coach with the Clippers, if not uh, selected by the Pacers here. And it also Looks like, you know, according to Kevin O'Connor last week, Chris Finch was the front runner. So I'm not really sure, but I feel like these are the four names we really should key in on. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And I think a um, couple of things. First of all, I think the last thing I saw on free agency that I saw reported by like a, 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 an official source was December 1st is what okay. they're kind of zeroing in on. So that would be right after the draft. Okay. I know trading trading starts next month, like trading is available and open next month. Um, so that's. When the exciting stuff's going to start um, <laughs> with the coaching search, man, it's interesting. I don't know what your thoughts are with Chauncey, um, but I think, A, you know, I talked about this on the IC pod a little bit and, and just kind of my own ramblings, but uh, I feel like Chauncey was uh, not like I think it's a, a bad personal decision or anything. I, I never want to come off that way, and I, I, I'm not saying I did, but you look at he gets announced as the lead assistant, um, and then, you know, obviously it comes out afterwards that he's still in the Pacers coaching run and he'll accept the lead assistant job if he doesn't get selected. Um, I think that puts a lot of pressure on the Pacers front office in a way, you know, not in uh, like a do or die situation or anything, but I think it kind of forces, if the Pacers are really interested in Chauncey, it, uh, it forces it to move along a little bit faster. I don't know if you'd agree with that, but um, it, it's a little bit of a leverage play in my opinion. And I'm not, I, mm-hmm. that's just me making assumptions. Uh, it's not like I know him or his agent or anything, but I, I mean, it definitely felt like that for sure. Yeah. I, I honestly like, you know, and that's, what's funny is like most of the stuff you're hearing is not from the Pacers. It's from outside sources. So yeah. yes, maybe it is a Pacers because they have been taking a long time to do this whole thing. And I'm sure if I'm Chauncey Billups, like it's probably been going on at least a month plus now. So he's probably just like ready for them to be like, hey, what's going on here? Am I a finalist? Am I not? Uh, I thought it was interesting that Jay Michael thought Chauncey Billups was the front runner. And I, that wasn't really um, – I think that was more so his opinion, not not from just actual like what he's reporting and, and sources that he's heard. He just feels like Billups is the front runner. And that's kind of been the person that I know that I've been advocating for. And I know you have been decently high on Chauncey Billups as well. But I, I thought Tony East brought up a good point on his podcast, Locked on Pacers, when he said that it, it's really hard to you know say, oh, I'm excited about Chauncey when you don't really know what he's going to run offensively. So, you know, when it comes down to it, I mean, I think Chauncey's an intriguing name. And this is something that literally just popped in my head when we were talking about uh, Peter Dinwiddie. There is an open spot in that front office now. And I'm not one that likes to mix front office stuff with head coaching stuff, but... I wonder if there'd be a possible way that he would have more of a voice in the front office because of his, you know, desires earlier to go with Cleveland. I mean, what are your thoughts on that at all? Oh, yeah, that's a good question. I mean, I just think, um, you know, he got the offer to be the the, the head of Cleveland when LeBron was there um, as the, you know, the full-on GM before, um, I believe, David Griffin took that job. And, oh, no, it was after David Griffin left. Uh, I, I meant to say Colby Altman. Um yeah. So it's I think if he got, you know, he got that full time offer as the head, I don't really personally see why he would take a step down, which I mean, you could say the exact same thing about him uh, with the opportunity to be a head coach and, and being an assistant instead. But um, 
I'm not sure. I mean, I think it's it's all semantics a little bit. Uh, that that situation is so different from anything else. I feel like that that was. Um, I mean, just in looking at drama and everything, that <laughs> the last two years of LeBron's time in Cleveland were crazy in terms mm-hmm. of everything going on with the front office and the coaching staff. Um, but I don't know. That's just my read on it. I think if he's not in in the reporting I saw, I think it was a piece from the Athletic um, that you know there have been you know some rumblings. Originally, he was very interested in being in in a front office capacity, and now you know he he mentioned to friends and to to some of his. Uh, colleagues that he's much more interested in getting into the coaching ranks. So I, I don't know, maybe uh, just from everything I've seen, it seems like uh, front office is kind of off his radar. Maybe if an opportunity popped up, um, but I just don't see why he would take the third third option. You know, I think yeah. personally, I, th- I think he's just pretty zeroed in on coaching right now. Yeah, and I think that it makes a lot of sense for him to to go that route because a lot of guys start that way. Now I know some have done it the opposite, like uh, Steve Kerr comes to mind. But he really, yeah. I mean, he has done some commentary, but not a lot during games. And he's been, you know, in and out of, like, NBA studios during, like, halftime shows and stuff like that. So, I mean, he's not being fully utilized for his analysis. Now, I do, I do believe he actually works for the Clippers. So that's that's where the connection is there. He's friends yeah. with Ty Lue and all that. So, you know, I'm talking more of a national level. But, yeah, so for, mm-hmm. for Chauncey, it, it makes a lot of sense for him to start out as an assistant on Ty Lue's bench. And then kind of work his way up. I mean, you don't usually see a lot of players just automatically get that head coaching spot without working their way up their ranks. I mean, Steve Nash is an exception, but he still was doing some stuff with Golden State, so it's not like he just got picked up out of nowhere. But, yeah, I mean, honestly, like, as intrigued as I am by Chauncey, there are still other names out there. Um, Like, I look at Chris Finch, and I look at Dan Craig, and I think I would be happy with either of those guys as the head coach after after reading the you know the reports that Caitlin has put out there and reading um, the article she's done like covering the team and what other people have said about him they just seem like really impressive guys really offensive minded people and you know Dan Tony is the same is the same kind of thing even though Dan Tony is a little bit under the radar right now for the Pacers it doesn't seem like he's really I haven't really heard his name attached to him too much since pretty much the beginning uh, of whenever the Pacers fired McMillan so yeah. yeah now, now we're just kind of sitting in limbo here, but I think it's down to these four coaches, and I'm just curious, like, perfect scenario, who do you think makes the most sense? So, yeah, a couple of things right off the bat. I think number one in looking at Chauncey um, and, and talking about uh, – because, I, I, you know, I talked about Tony's point on my pod as well, and I, I, I totally agree. You know, you have no idea what he is uh, in terms of an X's and O's guy. But I, I think that's part of the allure with him a little bit too, which is kind of – it's funny, you know. We look at a guy like Mike D'Antoni, who's super proven. I know I'm higher on him than you or, or Kent is. Kent, certainly compared to Kent, <laughs> I like um, D'Antoni. He's in my top three, yeah. but Kent hates him. Oh <laughs> uh, yeah, which I—that's a whole other story. I totally disagree with most of Kent's points on him, but I, I respect his opinion. Um, <laughs> but in looking at Chauncey, it's really funny because um, obviously we we definitely have no idea what his his exes and O's would be like. But it's funny because. You look back, and I wasn't really growing up. I mean, I, I was growing up, but I was not really old enough to understand what I was watching on the basketball court when uh, when Chauncey was in his prime. Um, you know, I, I didn't really get into basketball until the the Danny Granger era, and so you know, Chauncey was kind of a prolific threes and layups guy and getting to the free throw line, and he was you know often seen as kind of an inefficient guy in his time. But you go back and you look at things like true shooting percentage now, and and uh, and just in terms of the way the game's played. He was a really 
prototypical efficient player before that was a thing. You know, I, he was a good passer, obviously, um, not a high turnover guy. But, I mean, he was taking five, six, seven threes a game uh, in an era where that was not the norm. Mm-hmm. Um, and he got to the layup, not to the layup, to the to the free throw line a ton. And that's kind of what today's game is predicated upon. So not that that's the be-all, end-all, but it's something just interesting to throw into the mix that uh, that I like. Um, and in terms of, you know, my, my ideal scenario, um, I don't know. Uh, it's it's cop-out. I yeah. really like Chauncey still. I love the idea of Chauncey just because he has relationships with some of the players already. Um, and he's the, he's the sexy name. I mean, uh, I don't think that you can... Like as cool as as much as I really like Chris Finch's mind and, and his way that he attacks the game, and I talked to um, Will Guillory, who he covers the, the Pels, mm-hmm. um, New Orleans for the Athletic, and he he spoke really highly on Chris Finch. Um, but again, you just keep coming back to it's Chauncey Billups, man. You know, five time All Star, uh, one time title winner. Like he was a really good player. He's dude I grew up watching. Like so, it's hard to not be really enamored with him. But I think ultimately. Um, if he's not hired, I really like Chris Finch. Um, and I think yeah. as much as I was into Mike D'Antoni at the beginning of the time, I still am. Um, but in terms of just hearing everything that the front office has said, I don't know if you saw Steve Simon um, said the other day on, uh, I believe on radio, that they're the um, the organization is looking for an innovative young coach who can grow with the team. And while that doesn't totally eradicate Mike D'Antoni from the discussions, um, it feels like it a little bit. You know, I think that that just does not sound like Mike D'Antoni at all. I mean, he's innovative, of course, but um, he's not a young guy. I don't really know. I mean, he could grow with the team, but just based off what Simon said, it, it <laughs> Simon says, um, it, <laughs> yeah, it, uh, it just, that. <laughs> yeah, that was legendary. Um, but it just based off of that, it seems like not really like the direction that the franchise is going in. Um, and also, like you mentioned a little bit, I mean, his name was out there for a year before Nate even gets fired. His his name is the most prevalent for the first two or three weeks. And since he got, you know, since since Doc Rivers got hired, we really haven't heard much in terms of D'Antoni being linked with the Pacers other than J. Michael and uh, I believe it was Clevis Murray. I, I think that was the, the guy from the Athletic Boston. Um, they both put out that Mike D'Antoni was still in the running. Uh, so obviously I agree with both of them. You know, I, I don't. I would never go against what J. Mike's saying. Um, but, yeah, I mean, he's still in the running. But I just, on my opinion, from the way that everything's fallen out, it seems like he's not going to end up being the coach. Just just based off, uh, if, I, if I had to do a gut check, I'd say he doesn't yeah. end up being coach. Yeah, that was kind of my feelings, too. Like, especially when he started, like, really heating up with Philadelphia, I kind of felt like the Pacers were out on him. And I feel like a lot of this stuff is Mike D'Antoni's agent making a last-ditch effort to try to keep him in the running because truth of, truth of the matter is he's 69 years old. And yes, there are rumors that he could join Steve Nash's offensive, you know, you know, bench unit there and, and be an assistant there off an offensive assistant. But personally to me, it's like at 69 years old, does a guy really want to spend the last couple of years of his career as an assistant? Probably not. So this is to me is more like a last ditch effort to try to get his name out there. And I, I mean, I think his offense is super innovative. I think that he's a well-respected coach by, a lot of players. I mean, one thing that I think he does a great job of is he works the sidelines very well, and he's always he's very pro player. So I think that he does fit some of those qualifications. But the age thing makes me a little bit skeptical, especially when it comes down to what you said, Steve Simon said about them looking for a young, innovative coach, and that kind of draws me back to two guys 
And these are the guys that are number one and number two on my board, and that's Chauncey and Dan Craig. Like, I am really intrigued by Chris Finch. Don't get me wrong, and I'd be completely happy with him. But he's number four on my on my list. And it's not because I don't think he'd be a good coach. I just don't know much about him. But I, I am intrigued by Dan Craig because he was, you know, part of that Miami Heat team that, that, that just went to the NBA Finals. And I feel like he has a very similar path to Frank Vogel, Eric Spolstra, something that could be re- related to players, somebody that seems well-respected. And honestly, like, it wouldn't surprise me if the Pacers don't go with him if he went somewhere like Oklahoma City uh, with a team that is trying to grow. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So, yeah. I mean, I, I'm i really into Dan Craig, and I'm really into Chauncey Billups. Like, I, I'm, I'm intrigued. But, you know, I threw this idea out on Twitter, I believe, and I know I sent it to you before I put it out on Twitter, and I said, I don't really see Chris Finch's name mentioned a lot of places. I know that he was, you know – maybe mentioned a little bit with the Pelicans head coaching position, but they it's not like it's super hot. It's kind of died down quite a bit. And I, I didn't think he was one of the finalists that I saw. So my first reaction was like, look, Chauncey Billups makes a lot of sense for being a player's coach and a guy that could do that. Why not see if you could get Chauncey Billups as your head coach and then bring in Chris Finch as your assistant head coach. And maybe they've had those conversations. Like, would you be okay if we went this route, because I mean, I honestly, if I'm the Pacers, I would ask that option. Look, I mean, are there any other openings out there for you for an assistant head coaching position? And if not, would you be willing to come on our staff if we go in a different direction? Yeah, no, that's a great point. Um, I just personally don't know if he'd be willing to. I mean, I yeah. think it's partially a pride thing, which that's fine. You know, I, I, I struggle to not feel the same way sometimes. You know, I think um, if you, uh, it, I mean, it's difficult because people look at the Pelicans and they're like, you know, well, why would we be super interested in Finch? What has he done that's been successful? Um, I think you can, obviously I, I'm always going to go back to Caitlin and, and what she writes. Cause she's, she's the best Pacers writer out there as far as I'm <laughs> concerned. Um, as much as I, you know, love and appreciate everyone else who's part of the Indiana community, Caitlin just blows everyone else out of the water. Um, <laughs> but I mean, it's true, man. I can't, uh, no, I, I mean, can't she's, lie. she's um, unreal, man. She's super good at what she does. No doubt about oh, it. Oh yeah. Yeah. Um, but, like, I mean, just in everything on Chris Finch and, and talking to some of my friends in, who cover the team in Denver and, and what he did there to kind of spark everything that, that that offense does around Murray and Jokic. Obviously, I mean, we can always point to the DeMarcus Cousins and, and uh, AD front court that, that worked really well because of Chris Finch in, in, in due part. Um, but I, I just don't know if, if he'd be willing to accept that role. It seems like he's really ready to move into a head coaching role. Um and I don't know. I mean, it maybe uh, like I think if he were to to go and just be an, an associate head coach again, why wouldn't he just stay in New Orleans where he's been for the last couple of years when when a new coach comes in? And I don't know if that's a thing. I mean, I think from everything I know, it seems like the Pelicans would probably be OK with doing that. Um, mm-hmm. But I'm not sure. I mean, it would be interesting, but. I, I just, from everything I know with coaches, it is largely a pride thing. So if you're being brought in to be a head coach or you're, you're interviewing for that and they're like, well, no, we won't use an assistant instead. Um, I don't know how excited I would be to come in and, and know <laughs> that I was somebody's second option, you know? Well, and that's, that's a great point. I know that's probably a little bit interesting because I had mentioned like, what about Dave Yeager being Chauncey's assistant? And then all of a sudden it's like a week later, he gets picked up by Philadelphia to be their assistant. So it's like, I get it. I understand that, but it's like when you ever, whenever you fire a coach, I mean, and the Pacers have been one that's really hired internally the last couple of yeah. times when they brought in Vogel and McMillan, so they kept the same staff. But a lot of times, when you fire that whole that that coach, the head coach, you usually fire their staff, and so that's why I'm like, 
where would Chris Finch go? Because I know for a fact, like, he might not go to Indiana because he might be like, no, I don't want to be your second choice and be on your sideline. But at the same time, you know, there could be other openings for him as well as an assistant head coach somewhere or whatever he does. But I just think, you know, because I thought of Tony's point, and I agree with it. Like, what do we know about Chauncey? Nothing. We know nothing about his coaching philosophies. But if you could get an offensive mastermind like Chris Finch with him, it would be very similar to when the Pacers brought in Larry Bird and had Dick Carter and Rick Carlisle on that sideline Mm -hmm. calling the shots, but it was more so like Larry had that player relationship thing down pat. I know that's what Chauncey would really thrive in as a coach here, having that relationship with the players and then allowing these other offensive and defensive brilliant minds to kind of, you know, help guide Chauncey to make the right decisions and put the players in the right position. So, you know, at the end of the day, I'm excited about what the Pacers are going to do. And when it comes down to it, I think, I really think like my gut say, and it's going to be Dan Craig or Chris Finch. I think they're going to go with one of those younger assistants that has experience coaching. I think that D'Antoni and Billups' names continue to rise up in the Pacers' talks based only on their you know their pedigree and and their reputation around the league and their agents putting their name out there what are your thoughts on that uh yeah i mean i agree it really doesn't seem like i mean i don't want to say that chauncey won't be the head coach but um it to an extent it, it just doesn't seem like him or, or dan tony's gonna end up being the guy i mean especially with everything that's come out with finch um kevin o'connor obviously is a great reporter so i trust what he's saying about um finch being the lead guy but that, i mean that can flip-flop over a day you know who knows um i, I try not to be super definitive um <laughs> i it's interesting like i just i have no idea what to know or think about dan craig like obviously he has that that upbringing but again it's just with assistant coaches it's it's hard to know and i think it's there's a lot more out there on chris finch um because of his offensive acumen and, and some of the teams that he's been a part of um i if Man, I think if if I did have to make a decision, it'd probably be Chris Finch. Like, I think yeah. that's who I think will end up getting the job. But, I mean, things could change tomorrow or, or a week from now. So, I, you know, we'll see on that. Well, refresh my memory a little bit on, on Dan Craig because I know that there was – I forget who it was, but I think it was somebody from, like, the Miami Heat beat or the Miami Herald or something like that came out yesterday and said that he had a really impressive interview, like, with the Pacers in his uh, for the coaching position. So – what what is his you know does he run the offense in there does he run the defense like what is his thing that he is so well established with uh with coach coach spo in the heat oh man um that's a great question yeah i, I don't know that, <laughs> i think he's player development he's either one of the player development directors and uh, uh i am not entirely sure and that's like exactly you know like do we ever i mean we know what assistants do but it's uh, I I'm not entirely certain on what he does. Yeah, that's that's kind of where I'm at. Like, it's it's hard to figure out. But at the same time, we know Chris Finch is an offensive person, so that is what's intriguing. And I told you this too. I really think like not just for like the growth of Sabonis, but I really think Gogo would benefit from someone like Chris Finch being able to work with him and put him in the right position. Yeah, yeah, I agreed. I, I'm really excited about Gogo and his development. Um, I'm not. It's still you have like the murkiness of well he'd be behind Domas or Miles whoever's around you know from what we know it's going to be Domas but mm-hmm. um, yeah I I still think it's really important for him to develop and and do you know I talked about this on my podcast and I've talked about it with you before too I mean um, I think something that's really important to me and looking at how this team can build things 
Um, I mean, we both agree that that this Pacers organization is a really high class, and we're not just saying that because we we enjoy the team. You know, I think um, most people around the league, you know, who aren't fans, have a really high opinion of, of the Pacers front office. The only thing that you know I think really needs to be different going forward is the way in which players are developed, um, and I think part of it was on Nate McMillan, and not necessarily his fault, but you know, I mean, it was his job to win games, so it, you can't always get a guy five extra minutes in, in, in the third quarter of a game um, if it's close. Because, you know, there's a sometimes that's the difference between losing four or five games. You know, if you play your first rounder who you drafted in the late 20s, if you try and play him five extra minutes a game um, here or there just to, to get him some extra reps and, and extra development, you might lose a couple games. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and that's a tough thing to stomach. But at the same time, I think – with how this team is drafted, I mean, we, we could even mention it with T.J. Leaf. I know we're at the point now, we know he's not an NBA player. He doesn't have the NBA athleticism. He doesn't have the touch. He doesn't have well, – I could go on and on about what he doesn't have. That's not trying to be rude. <laughs> yeah, just tell um, us what he does so we can keep it. Yeah, exactly. But, like, um, well, I mean, our podcast would end. But, I, I mean, like, <laughs> you, you just look at that. It, he never really got a chance, man. I mean, he never really got the opportunity to get run on the team. And I think – Obviously, it speaks to him and, and his his abilities, but it also speaks a little bit to to what the team was trying to do. And I think you have to find that balance to to really grow your young players. I mean, Aaron Holiday that's a testament to how hard he's worked. Considering, I mean, dude, do you remember his rookie year? He was he would get like no playing time. His his minutes were so inconsistent with Nate. In a in a year when uh, Victor was out in the playoffs, um. And no one could get it going in the backcourt. Aaron played 13 minutes across four games in, yeah. in the playoffs. And that would have been a perfect time for him to get get some run. I know it's you know throwing the guy to the wolves. But in reality, there's no way that that team was going to win in that round against that Celtics team. So that's, 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 that's the point that I'm trying to bring up. You have to capitalize on opportunities like that and really try and grow your young guys. And, and that's um, – you know, in, in hiring the coach as well as hiring the third guy in the front office. I mean, I think that's going to be really important. Yeah, I mean, they have to develop these young guys. I mean, I think it's something that's not talked about enough. Like, we, we are like, oh, the Pacers have to get better overall. Yes, they do. But when you're drafting in the in the late teens and the early 20s, where you're at in the draft position makes a huge difference on what kind of talent you're going to get in here. And so you're not going to get more than likely superstar level players that late in the draft. You might find one every once in a while, a guy that can make an all-star team, something like that. But like TJ Leaf was an awful miss. They know it. And then I look at a guy like Aaron Holiday, like you mentioned, like it, it took Victor Oladipo getting injured for him to even get any time on the court during the regular season. And then come playoff time, you said it. He didn't play until game four, and that's when they benched McDermott. Because McDermott was just atrocious through three games. And it's just, as a fan, you sit back and watch, you're like, well, you know, I want to see these young guys get a chance, but I also want to continue winning while seeing these young guys develop. And so I think that's where a lot of it comes into. Like, I thought last year, for the most part, like, I thought Aaron played pretty well. There was obviously inconsistencies. And I also feel like because he was asked to do so many different things and play so many different positions, it was kind of a bit hard for him not to get settled into a role. Same with Goga. Like, Goga got no time last year on the court. Yeah. And TJ Leaf, you know, barely saw the court at all in the entire three years that he's been here. So 
really, I mean, I understand the mandate is to win and the mandate is to go out there and, and try to compete at the highest level. But at the same time, like you really have to give these guys opportunities to excel and to grow and expand. And if you're not giving them playing time, they're never going to do that. You can only do so much in practice. We know there's a total difference, even from just like a, a high school player or, you know, a, even a, a little league player, you know, the difference between what you do in practice and what you do at a game. So that to me is like a huge thing that I'm looking forward to in this whole entire coaching search is what kind of coach can develop our players the best so i mean chris finch is exciting for the big man but i also think like when it comes to dan craig like he's really exciting for the roster overall because if he's got great player relations i would be really intrigued to see his player development because of what they were able to do with a guy like kendrick nunn of course tyler hero and duncan robinson a lot of young guys that were not super highly uh, coveted or thought about and here they were making pretty good contributions throughout this entire playoff run. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. And I mean, I think one last thing that I would say on that too, you know, you look at um, like you mentioned with Aaron and his role. Um, I think it's, it's tough because, you know, I've, I've talked to you about this before too. I don't really feel like a fan anymore. I really want to just be objective with stuff. And I, I think you feel the same way too, to an extent, like, um, and I think it's, it's difficult sometimes in seeing the, the, the frustration that fans get with young players, and I get it. Um, but I think at the same time, you have to think of it like this. I mean, Aaron Holiday, until he got drafted, the dude had never been anything less than the best player on his team and, and playing 30-plus minutes a game, you know, even when he's at UCLA. Um, and so to, you know, have to, sh- you know, shoehorn yourself into a role that's, uh, you don't know what it is because of, of how much he was bouncing around. And even this year, I mean, like you mentioned, like he had that stretch in December where he was incredible when he was starting at the point um, with Brogdon out. And then Brogdon comes back and Vic comes back too. And then he's hardly even playing towards the end of the year before the hiatus. Um, it's really hard to establish yourself and, and what you can do without having any kind of, of rhythm or ability. You know, it's just think of it like, you know, being at your job at work, you know, if you're, say you're a sports writer and, and you uh, are trying to get stories out, but you, you don't know what your, your role is in your publication. Like, okay, well, what am I supposed to write on? I don't, and it changes every single day. It's harder to get into a, into a rhythm and into a groove and know what you're doing. And that's how you get better. So I think that's, that, that's, that's the last thing I want to say on that because I think that that's just an important thing to think about. It's, I think about that a lot, especially in terms of the Pacers. Yeah, I'm right there with you, man. So let's, Take a, not a break, but let's just kind of move over here as we close this entire podcast out. And I want to just talk real quick, you know, expectations for this offseason. I don't want to get into all the, the nitty gritty, the trade ideas, the, the free agent signings. I mean, we can get into some specific stuff, but I don't want to get into like all these rabbit, rabbit trails or rabbit holes that go down, uh, talking about all these different trades because tomorrow we've got a huge podcast coming out where we're going to be talking, a lot of mailbag questions, and I saw a lot of trade ideas thrown out there. So, um, but your expectations for this offseason, what are they? Oh, wow. Okay. That's a great question. Um, <laughs> so I guess what I would say in terms of expectations, all right, well, we'll do, we'll do like two, two little things on it. I think the ideal offseason for the Pacers um, is that they trade uh, either Miles or Domas, whoever they, they decide to move forward with. And again, we, we're pretty sure it's Domas that they're going to move forward with. Um, but they package one of the bigs with, with some kind of cap filler and, and maybe draft picks to, to get a wing player who makes sense on the team long term uh, in terms of you know, fitting in with the core and with, with skill set and with, with age. Um, 
So, I mean, like, you know, not getting somebody who's who's 31 or, or 30. You know, you get somebody who's in their mid-20s who's going to be here for a couple of years with this group and, and grow with them. Um, and then also you either figure out what's going on with Vic and, and you figure out a deal and he comes back healthy, uh, which, that, again, that's a long shot because it's going to take him time to get back still. Um, or you, you, you talk to him and you, you come to an agreement that he's not going to be part of the Pacers moving forward. And you make a deal for him before the season starts or maybe part of the way through it. Um, ideally, I think I would just, just me personally, I know that there are merits to, you know, keeping a guy up until the trade deadline. Maybe you can recoup some of his value doing that. But at the same time, I just think I would so much rather not have that going on in the locker room uh, and in the press and media and just have a team starting fresh instead of feeling like a team that has one foot in last year and one foot in, the, in going forward, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so I think ideally, you figure both those situations out before the season starts, um, and then you can just have a, a, a whole season together with this group, barring injuries, um, and, and move forward. And um, I think the biggest thing in terms of this this off season too um, is does Justin Holiday resign, and if he does, is it through his cap hold or through the MLE? Because I think that makes a huge difference on what the team can do in surrounding talent. I mean, if he signs his cap hold. I think it's around five and a half million dollars and the the Pacers can go over to sign that, which they probably won't go over. But just speaking in th- hypotheticals, they could do that. And there are things that they could do to sign the MLE as well as sign him to his capital to not go over. Um, but I mean, just think of it like this. If if he ends up signing for the whole MLE for like two or three years, um, that takes away eight like an eight or nine million dollar. Uh, bidding piece that you can use to to bring in really quality talent to the Pacers and then instead of having that five and a half million dollar cap hold you have a vet minimum contract Uh, much harder to draw on somebody you know you can get those fringe guys like Jakar Sampson who the Pacers are good at making work out let's be honest yeah Um, but I mean the 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 difference between like you guys did a mail not mailbag uh, you guys talked about potential MLE targets last week I mean I love a guy like Mo Harkless or, or Paul Millsap for this team and you're not bringing that guy in on, on a vet minimum deal. So, I mean, you think about having an extra guy in the rotation who's going to be a competent, effective player uh, versus a guy who's, you know, fringe of, of being like an 11th man. I think that's a huge difference. And I, I obviously it depends on what the team wants to do moving forward. Um, but Justin Holiday really could, can set the table for what the Pacers are going to do with the rotation. Mm-hmm. No, and that's you bring up some great points there, and I I do want to jump into the Turner Sabonis discussion. It's like um, I'm interested to see like if they believe that those two guys can still work, and maybe that's why they go out and get I Chris Finch not. because I feel like that might be something in the back of their mind. Because look, at the end of the day, like Miles is a really good person off the court, and oh, the Pacers yeah, and right. the Pacers value his off the court presence that he brings. Um, you know his his relationship with the community. I understand that the fan base is pretty torn on him. I would say it's probably more so frustrated than in love. But it still seems like there's a very strong fan base out there that really wants him to stay here. So I I get why there is a little bit of ups and downs with what they should do with him. But personally, I just feel like you said it on your pod. I believe it was uh, Friday or Saturday. I can't remember the last time I listened to it. But you were talking about. Um, you know, you just hope that eventually they can just they can just pick one because I don't think them together really maximizes the strength of either of them. I think it holds them both back, and I think just picking a center and moving forward, you just got to do it. And I think with Turner's value, I think he does offer a little bit more because he's an easier fit with whatever team he is traded to. And then the same thing with Oladipo. It's like 
uh, the reports that came out this past week are that he wants a max contract whenever he's you know done and so i don't know how much of it's about winning or how much of it's about getting paid a lot of money so that's why it's interesting to see like a team that might be under some pressure is a team like minnesota because they want to keep carl anthony towns for a while they just traded for d'angelo russell um, they did get off the Wiggins contract, but they did have to give up a very coveted pick for next year's draft. And they got lucky and got the first overall pick in this draft, but a lot of people don't like this draft. So they're willing to shot that number one pick. But, I mean, I've talked to not just one person from Minnesota, but a couple actually recently. And they're like, the pressure is on to to, to start winning now. And a lot of people are intrigued by Oladipo. And it all kind of came back to a conversation Bobby Marks had in Minnesota with some with some guys that have a, a radio show there or a podcast. I'm not sure what it is exactly, but I shared a clip of it basically just saying out of all the big names right now that are available via trade, Oladipo is probably the most, you know, tradable or the most or the biggest name out there that you could have in, in the trade market. But the the fear of trading for him is that he's on an expired contract coming off that injury, which we all know that, but it's like that's a big thing to look forward to. So those two like expectations, I'm ex- I'm I'm expecting both of those two guys to be traded. And I know that sounds crazy, but I just think like that's the kind of summer it's gonna, or the off season it's going to be. And then as far as Justin Holiday, I thought you brought up a great point there as well because Justin was so good last year for this team. But I mean, can the Pacers truly afford him? I don't know what the 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 free agent market's going to be like. Bobby Marks did say on a separate podcast that he feels like all the movement you see usually in free agency will be done via trade. So I have a feeling there's going to be a lot of sign-in trades with the cap space kind of drying up and there not being a lot of teams that are really great out there with cap space. So, I mean, if Justin wants to go to a team that's not super great right now and, and, and get paid more money, like more power to him, but I just don't see him doing that. Maybe he does it for like a one-year deal to be able to re- get himself back out there. But, I mean, I think his stock is probably the highest it's ever been in his career. So if the Pacers can bring him back, I'm oh, all sure. for it. But you know what I mean. It's just it's hard to figure out. And then, of course, that mid-level exception. I mean, if the Pacers can can go out there and get a veteran-level player, someone like you said, Millsap, I mean, I don't know if Drake Crowder would do it for four years, but if you get somebody like that that's well-established, knows their role, and can come in here and really contribute, I think that it's worth looking at and, uh, and giving that to a player. But, yeah, a lot of great points and – expectations are kind of high, I guess, for me this offseason with what I think the Pacers are going to do. Yeah, yeah, I agree. And I think, um, yeah, because that was my ideal, you know, scenario. I don't know if that's going to happen. Um, and not to be a pessimist, I just think you have to be a little bit pessimistic in terms of looking at what a team is going to do because oftentimes, you know, the A-plus thing is almost never what's going to happen. You're you're lucky if you get the B-plus or B scenario. So yeah. um, I think – yeah, I mean, yeah, because, I mean, there's 29 other teams that are trying to do the same thing you are uh, within reason. You know, not every team's trying to win, but every team is trying to get better. Um, so, I mean, it's – I think the Pacers – this is going to be good for them. You know, I, I think th- there have been – not qu- questions is the wrong way to put it, but I think there just have been um, some things that have been coming to a head for, for a year and a half now, maybe even a little bit longer, and the, the team finally has to take care of it. And and not I don't mean that in a bad way. I think it was good that they took the time to to see if Sabonis and Turner works. Um, but I, I do really question uh, trying to move forward with that pair because you can point back to to Coach McMillan's offense. Um, but I also think there were a lot of things that that come up as a question for me defensively. Mm-hmm. Um, and 
I think that it's just so clunky on the offensive side. And maybe Chris Finch could come in and make it work, but I still think that there are just so many issues that, that you really can't outcoach. Like, uh, just I, I always point back to, to the last game uh, before the hiatus against Boston and the way that that team just got cooked on the perimeter because they kept forcing the Sabonis-Turner cross match on Gordon Hayward and Jason Tatum, and it just killed them. They were driving from the corner uh, and getting to the basket so easily. Um, and that, that's the thing that's going to routinely get picked on in the playoffs. I mean, that's, that's just one thing, but there are other things, obviously. I think um, it's just easier to build a defense without two big men. And um, I guess the ideal form of Miles is somebody who could fit next to Domas, but I don't know if you can make that happen because, um, I mean, I don't want to say that Miles is necessarily a rhythm player, but I think he, he's good enough in the post to de- deserve some post touches, and he's never going to get those playing next to Domas. Yeah. Um, and I just, I, I don't know. I agree with you. I think Miles is like, especially considering Miles and I are like the same age, and I've kind of come up through through college and high school the same time as he is and followed his career. Mm-hmm. Um, it's It would be weird to see him go. Um, and I, I, you know, I just want the best for him and for Domas, obviously. But uh, <laughs> if it can work, that'd be cool. But regardless, I think it just comes down to the Pacers um, trying to figure out what they can do differently to to not be like other teams and to be better. And for me, I really think that that is. Uh, I mean, this this team is never going to have the top, at least in the moment currently, with the, the way the team is going and where it's going to be assembled. There's not going to be a top 15 or 20 player on the roster unless. Uh, Demonis or, or TJ Warren takes some massive leap because um, I, I you know for me I have Domas probably like a top 30 40 player right now and that's uh, I think that's fair and I've seen a lot of other people in that area too and obviously mm-hmm. rankings are arbitrary but you get what I'm saying um, yeah this team is going to build through having really great cohesion and really great depth um, you look at the past great Pacers teams they had uh, I mean, Reggie obviously was an incredible player, the best player that there's been in the franchise. Um, and I, I think that th- even then, I mean, he had his limitations as an on-ball guy. He still did stuff on-ball, but he wasn't somebody who g- was getting to his own shot. I mean, they they worked com- effort with, with extreme effort to get him into his spots. Um, and so it's kind of going to be like that for for the next team. You have to have five guys who are working together insanely well in order to beat some of those teams that can just afford to, to ISO. And it's not even like those teams aren't playing well together. But you think of what the Raptors did last year. As good of a team as they were defensively, I mean, do you remember Kawhi Leonard taking like 37 shots in the Eastern Conference Finals against the Bucks? I mean, like, I do kind of remember it a little bit, but just because it was so talked about. But, not, I mean, yeah. at the end of the day, they won the game, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. They won the game. But that's my point. There's not going to be a Kawhi Leonard-type guy on this team. So you have to have the ability to work cohesively on offense and defense while still bring it on the on, on you know in 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 depth. You have to be able to win your your minutes with the bench uh, while still being able to hold pat with the starters. Um, mm-hmm. So I don't know. It's going to be interesting to see how they do that. But uh, I, I'm just really excited to to see what happens in the offseason because I think well a lot of things are kind of you know murky. Um, out of the the dark comes the light, or something cliche like that. But you know, I ex- <laughs> I, I expect good things going into next year. No, I do too. And I mean, I know some people are like really pessimistic about the uh, the the upcoming season, and it's like, oh, you know, what should we really do with this roster? And blah blah blah. It's like, look, when I when I look at the expectations for this team, it's like, I I really think Miles could probably be utilized a little bit better in a different offense and a different system. 
But what I will say, it's like what we've seen from him for the past four to five years is been pretty average and it's not been something that makes me want to just slam the table and say oh we got to keep giving him the ball we got to keep doing different things for him and sure that might be you know part of the coaching and the offense they were running which I agree with that for the majority of it but at the same time it's like when you have an offensive stud like Sabonis on the team as well I mean Turner's touches are going to be limited and it's nothing against him I just think you know Sabonis overall can do a little bit more than Miles Miles is a better shooter but everything oh, we else can do a lot more like that's not even a question right <laughs> well, you know, I... I mean... <laughs> oh yeah no no i'm not trying to hammer you but i think you bring up such a good point man like um the, the issue is that it's 50 50 or not even I, I don't know the ratio but a lot of it is on miles too he, you can tell mentally i think I, I i bring this up a lot um when he's playing in the bubble as the lone center you could just tell he's like so caught up in trying to figure out should i take this shot or should i do what domas would do yeah, that's how it felt, man. Like um, there were so many times where it'd be like, OK, well, uh, I'm not going to take the shot. I'm going to go into a dribble handoff because I think maybe that's what the offense should do or needs to do. Um, and I think it's not about killer instinct or anything like that to me. I think it's just about having your role set. And, you know, we didn't used to see this from him earlier on. But I do also want to say in terms of, you know, average average on offense, but defensively, I mean, he's legit, uh, I think. He, I would not be surprised if he won a defensive player of the year someday. He, he oh, was worthy of all defense <laughs> last year. Um, no, okay, I know that he struggles against larger post players like Embiid or Drummond. Um, but in terms of what he can do in deterring drives to the rim and and preventing a lot of things from happening, like he's insanely good at that. He's the top three rim protector in the league. Um, he can hang on the perimeter, but he was asked to do it way too much this year. Which, yeah. I mean, some people thought he took a defensive slip this year. I just saw it was more him playing out of position. Because um, a lot of people said that Domas played the four, but really it was Miles playing the four, at least on defense um, and on offense. But, I mean, yeah, it's just together they, they just don't work. I, I just yeah. don't think that there's an avenue to make them work. Yeah, it's, it's, it's tough because, I mean, I, I know I kind of said that sarcastically when I said I can uh, I, or I'd be shocked if he won a defensive player of the year. I think my, my more, I'm more so, I think he's a good rim protector. Like a really, it's like you said, top three rim protector in the NBA. There's no doubt about it. But I do think that he's got to get a little bit stronger. I mean, not even as far as like up, 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 you know, upper body strength. I'm just saying like he gets oh, pushed yeah. around. He gets pushed around too easy. And we, and a lot of people hate on Domas's defense because he gets, I, I kind of disagree with your point that he played a lot of the five this year because when he was with the when he was with the bench, he did. But when he was with Miles out there, I felt like he was guarding the four a lot of the times. Now there might have been cross matches where they, they they weren't able to get back and you know get on the right person. But for the most part, like you would see Sabonis out there guarding the four, and Turner would be guarding the five. And for me, at least, whenever I remember watching most of the games, so it's really just I feel like those two, like you said, they're just not a great fit. They're two really good basketball players, but they don't fit together. And so when the Pacers made that trade for Paul George, I don't think they realized how darn good Sabonis was going to be. I think they were hoping that he might be a really great like six-man off the bench, but when he just elevated into that all-star level player, it really complicated things. And, I mean, I agree yep. with you. We did see some really nice flashes from Miles. I think, I think Miles probably played his best basketball games two through four in the, uh, in the bubble this season. He I mean, was probably – I would say he was probably the best player for the Pacers games two through four, and I don't think that's yeah. a hot take. Um, yeah, yeah. It's, yeah, it's I mean, not. Was, it's not. I mean, good. 
He he was. I thought he held his own against Bam. He did get destroyed in game one, but that's okay. Oh yeah, game okay. Well yeah, we can erase game one. <laughs> well, game that's why I'm saying. I'm saying like he was he was bad in game one, but games two through four he looked really good. And I think a lot of that was just getting comfortable playing that position. He stayed out of foul trouble. He figured out ways to uh, challenge Bam without. Well, yeah, you know, he legitimately was out. Well, I don't want to say outworking because that's a you know that's not always the correct term to use. I think. I mean, but he was legitimately outsmarting Bam at the rim. You know, yeah. he knew what Bam was trying to do. He was really good at staying on his hip and, and forcing him out. And I think, to your point about his strength, I think he's worked really hard on it. A lot of the issue, too, is it's just physical makeup for him. And I don't know if he's ever going to be able to be a good post post defender. Yeah, I, It's not even that he's not strong. I mean, he's not the strongest guy. He's definitely not nearly as strong as Domas. Um, but, I mean, it, one of the knocks on him coming out of Texas – did you ever see his running form when he was at Texas? Oh, it was bad. I, it was I was a little physical. bit worried about him. Yeah, yeah. And so he's worked incredibly to improve on that. But a lot of it is he just doesn't have any like real torso flexion. So like he cannot bend. He has no bend in his legs or in his lower body, really. And that that's what really kills him. Because if he, even with the strength he's at now, I mean, you, you notice totally, he's always straight up playing in the post. He, he just does not have that bend to get down. And it hurts him when he's playing offensively in the post, too. And why... He, I mean, his his hook shots are really improved, but that's why he he goes to that that fadeaway so often. You know that the kind of face up and fade, um, because he's not great at getting bent and getting into people and, and and finishing over them. Like he doesn't have that 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 component of athleticism. I mean, he's got um, good vertical athleticism combined with his wingspan for defense, but I think it's it's less a knock on him and just more a knock on on physics. You know. Um, mm-hmm. So I think he's worked hard to try and counter it, but I just don't know if he's ever going to have that. Yeah, and it's funny because I actually did a mock draft back in the day, shockingly enough, the, the year that Turner got drafted. And oh, I wow, actually, way and back I, in the day. Well, yeah, that's that's how long ago I was doing uh, draft stuff. But I actually did for, for one time. I got the Pacers pick right. I actually predicted they would take Miles Turner um, just because I thought the, the, the Hibbert era was coming to an end. Mm-hmm. And it just felt like they're going to need a center to go along with uh, a guy like Paul George. Um, and, I, and I think really that that was kind of their future there. That was kind of their hope there was to get a really strong defensive team. I don't think Paul George leaving was something that they really had anticipated at that moment. And, you know, but it's, it is what it is. And when I look at this team going forward, just kind of wrap this whole thing up and put a nice little bow on it. It's, it's, you got to choose between those two. And unfortunately I think, you know, for the Pacers, they're going to have to move on from Miles. And it stinks because he's the longest tenured guy. And I really just, when it comes to the coaching thing, to, to wrap this all up here, Mark, I want a coach that's not going to be here for just four years. I want yeah. a coach that's going to help really groom this team and this franchise for the next five to ten years. Like, I, I really want to see the next Eric Spolstra, you know, calling the shots for the next long-term, uh, you know, because if you have a culture set, I'm not saying heat culture or anything like that, but I mean, if you have a, have a young guy like Dan Crick, I think he's like 37, 38 years old, and if you can keep him here for 10 years and really develop a system and get the right guys in here and, the, and, and get the right people in place, this could be a really beautiful thing for the, for a long time. But if you get the wrong person in there and it's like, oh, we got to blame the coach because the players aren't happy, like, no, we can't keep going down this path. We need a coach that's going to be here for the long haul that you can actually build around because player movement is so frequent in this in this era of NBA that it's really hard to you know have a core together for a long period of time. And I, I think you know what we saw what we see with Boston is they've really kind of they've got a long 
core that and they have a core that they're going to keep together for a very long time in both Jalen and Jason Tatum, uh, Jalen Brown, Jason Tatum, and then of course they bring in other guys. But I mean that's their core. So yeah. it's um, the Pacers have to find those two centerpieces, which I think they have, and and uh, and Brogdon and Sabonis, and then of course T.J. Warren's a part of that. But they've got to find somebody else that can get on that same level as a Jason Tatum like player. Uh, to really help build this core going forward. And I think if you have a coach that's here for at least, you know, five plus years, not just three or four, and, you know, based on how they underperform in the playoffs, they get booted out. I just think McMillan wasn't that guy, but a younger guy that has the patience, that's willing to, you know, suffer some, some tough losses and, and whatever to get this thing going makes a lot of sense for this team. So that's where I'm at and what I would really like for the Pacers to do going forward. Yeah, yeah, no, I feel similarly. I, I think it's uh, it's really tough to do that, though, you know, and, and not to play devil's advocate, but, I mean, just think about how many coaches have been oh, yeah. great coaches <laughs> and uh, have never even been close to tenured that long. Uh, I mean, suppose a complete uh, misnomer. Like, yeah. I mean, Brad Stevens has got to be close to the second longest. If you're excluding Pop, yeah, I think Brad Stevens is close to the second longest tenured coach. He's been there since, what, 2012? Uh, yeah, so, it was probably Doc before that. Yeah, so it's uh, I mean so. it's tough to like things change, you know. Yeah. Um, but I I agree, and I think it's it's interesting too because there is like kind of a uh, not kind of I mean there is a culture here. You come here and you you a lot of the guys have come out of a not bad scenario, but from a place that maybe didn't maximize who they were as a player, and and Indiana builds you up, um, mm-hmm. which uh, I mean I think that's what how I've kind of always viewed it. I mean you look at like. Um, Obviously, you look at in terms of like look at a guy like Jermaine O'Neal. I mean, just look at in terms of I think what five most improved players here. I mean, Jermaine, Danny, Paul, Vic. Um, so I guess four. Jalen Rose, I think, was one as well. Oh yeah, Jalen Rose too. I was yeah. Jalen Rose. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, exactly. Like the, this team, it, it, like you mentioned about having the two centerpieces. Uh, not to say that the team's never going to have a guy like Jason Tatum, but. For the most part, if, if they're never going to tank, which I'm fine with them not tanking, I don't think that like I personally think that the NBA is doing a lot of things to try and take away tanking a little bit, mm-hmm. uh, which is good because I think that just you know it. The, I, I'm very torn on the Hinky era. It's uh, it's interesting to look back on, but overall, I mean, I just think this team is going to struggle to to get guys like a Jason Tatum drafted here at least. You know, maybe they can trade for guys like they did with TJ, and then you develop them and and uh and bring them to a higher level and and you it, it but I, I just don't know if it's ever going to be having like two real centerpieces you know but yeah. uh it's uh i agree it's 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 going to be interesting to see what direction they go yeah well i was going to ask you this earlier and i kind of forgot but uh it's a fun little question but you might know the answer if the pacers do indeed trade miles turner this offseason do you know who the next long longest tenured pacer is oh that's a good question it's got to be Okay, so Miles was drafted in 15, correct? Mm-hmm. Okay, so it'd be Miles. Ooh. I really want to – would it be TJ Leaf? It is TJ Leaf, yeah. Oh, my God. I was going to say because TJ, TJ was drafted in 16 or – was it 17? He was drafted in the 17 draft with Jason Tatum and all yeah. of that. Because that's, that's the year everybody thought the Pacers – would possibly trade up and get pick number uh, pick number two, I believe it was no three from Boston. 
for Paul mm-hmm. George. And then I was like, I was all over that. I was like, please, let's get Jason Tatum. And then, uh, of course, you know, um, OG and Anobi falls um, to past 18 Pacers. Let both him and John Collins go and pick TJ. But, yeah, it's just funny because that's how much roster turnover we've had with yeah. this with this Pacers team in the last couple of years. And it's like, you know, personally, like, it's it's crazy to think about. But if you lose both Turner and Leaf, I don't even know who the next person is. It's probably like Sumner. So it's <laughs> it's just a weird. Yeah, it probably is. Yeah, because Sumner was the same draft. He was the yeah. he was the second round pick that year. Yep, and they got rid of Anabogi. Uh, so yeah, it's a it's a it's a unique situation the Pacers are in because of how much roster turnover they've had, and that's not something that they're really known for. A lot of it they're known for is like making trades whenever the thing eventually comes to an end, like the Hibbert era, the Paul George era, you know, the Reggie Miller era. They made some trades and then kind of retooled around Reggie, but. Yeah, it's just it's one of those things, man. Where it's just like I, this is like one of the most anticipated off seasons for me as a Pacer fan and as someone that covers the Pacers, just because I feel like there are so many different moves that could be had, and it could really, you know, determine whether this franchise is heading in the direction of a, of a team and a franchise that could, you know, be a serious contender for the next five to ten years, or if they're going to be a, a you know a team that really struggles and barely makes the playoffs and. um you know, not barely makes the playoffs, but they they make the playoffs on the back end of the of the playoff teams, and and just you know they just kind of hang around and and they're good but not great. And I think that with these two guys that they're possibly going to move, they could turn this team from good to to really good and possibly great if they make the right moves. Yeah, exactly. And I think you know I wrote it in uh, the article I wrote about Domas uh, a couple weeks ago, and I said you know this is the first time since. Gosh, probably, I want to say the Jermaine era ended when he was traded to Toronto for Roy. This is probably the first time that that this team is going to see the kind of offseason turnover that it has. You know, and you could obviously say the Paul George trade, but really that was only Paul. Um, like, I mean, in terms of like the the way that this this, this starting unit is going to be refaced, and the way that the offseason could go. I mean, th- this is. Like like you just mentioned, I mean, this is in terms of not even just exciting, but in terms of the, the amount of decisions and uh, things that the the front office has to think about going into the off season and and, and deal with this off season and take care of, I mean, it's it's definitely uh, by far the most. And this is a team that's used to, you know, really thriving off of being consistent and making smaller moves. And and for the first time in what feels like forever, they're making a pretty 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 significant moves so yeah because that's a great point like i didn't even think about it but as you're talking it's like look they're gonna they're possibly gonna trade their longest tenured pacer who's probably their best defensive player overall they're probably gonna trade their face of their franchise uh, this offseason and they're hiring a new coach like yeah that is that's a lot that is a lot of stuff that's happening in just you know one offseason and it's of course happening in the middle of a pandemic and an election year so it's, like 2020 know, remains on brand. Yes. Like, like, you know, we should be about to be starting Pacers basketball, but now we're in the middle of the post NBA finals in October. So it's just been unbelievably wild, but I will say this, I'm excited for it and I can't wait to see what this team looks like going forward. I am as well, man. I, uh, I really cannot wait. And I just, uh, not to get all sappy, but I just want to say thanks for being a, thanks for being a dope <laughs> friend, Alex. It's been really cool getting to know you through Pacers basketball. And uh, it's really weird. Cause I've, I mean, I, I wasn't even writing or talking about basketball at this point last year. I mean, obviously, mm-hmm. I was watching and, and keeping my eye on it. But uh, 
it's kind of crazy to say that it's been a year since Pacers basketball started and, and to remember that because it has been uh, the longest year, man. And I know it's uh, everyone can echo that sentiment, but uh, it's been really cool getting to kind of inject myself and inject the Pacers into me, you know, and, and be be part of a part of some cool. So yeah, yeah, man. Yeah, well, of course, and I and I love being able to talk to you and you know bounce ideas off each other and just kind of go forward with it. And I'm I'm willing to do that with a lot of people, but uh, I know that we do it a little bit more than I do with most other people. So yeah, it's a it's really cool to develop relationships, especially with people that are just constantly working hard out there. And uh, I know this is probably your fifteenth podcast in the last twelve hours, so I appreciate you know you uh, <laughs> you, you taking some time to do this. But uh, I don't even know if you sleep or not. You probably sleep with a microphone in your hand, so. Um, but yeah, man, I mean, you're doing a great job and you're well-respected by those, you know, amongst your peers and, uh, your colleagues. And so I, I really think, you know, you got, you're headed in the right direction and, uh, always enjoy listening to your podcast and always glad to have you on ours when we can get a chance to talk because, I mean, we could spend hours talking about Pacers ideas. <laughs> oh, dude, we could. I think we go over on our podcast every time we do one and I'm fine with it. Oh yeah. Me too. Me too. So all right, everybody, that's Mark Schindler. Um, where can the people find you at on Twitter, and what do you have coming out uh, this week? Yeah, so you can find me at MSchindlerNBA. It's uh, spelled just like the list, um, so it's not too difficult to find. Um, coming out this week, I'm actually taking a small break tomorrow, unless any news breaks. Uh, just finish up some schoolwork and everything. Uh, cause my capstone class is killing me right now. Um, but yeah, I mean, I have, uh, one or two new pods dropping tomorrow for premium hoops and I'm, I have an exciting one coming up, um, that I'm recording tonight, um, with a pretty cool person from, from Pacers culture that I'm excited to talk with. It'll be kind of just a fun one before we, uh, launch into some draft coverage and, uh, some, some other exciting stuff, uh, heading into, you know, deeper into the off season. Um, and then, yeah, I'll, uh, be continuing to release the, off-season previews not to completely plug myself but if you want to know what's going on with other teams from really great people who cover their teams um i've been doing some some coverage and talking to people from every single team in the nba to to drop a new podcast pretty much every day on a, on a team and what they're looking at this offseason and, and talking about their their past season so uh definitely check that out and let me know what you think and, and of course go pacers and and read us over indie cornrows or premiumhoops.org and obviously keep up with alex and everything he's doing <laughs> yeah no worries uh you don't have to worry about plugging me at the end there i'm glad to have you on and let you plug yourself and i'm pretty sure most of the listeners setting the pace do listening uh to the indie cornrows podcast as well which they should because it's always good to educate yourself and i would say this all the pace of podcasts out there they're all different so you know yeah, you don't you don't just really go to one and hear the same thing over and over you're going to get different topics and different variations and different opinions from other people so I just encourage people, don't just be, you know, connected to one podcast. Branch out, find ones you like. You know, you're not going to like everything, but give every podcast that's, you know, that a Pacers podcast out there has and, and, and just give it a chance because people are working hard and, and it takes a while to, to edit and do all that kind of stuff. And we're really just doing this because we love it, but we also want to, you know, let the fan base know uh, what's going on and just share our thoughts. So, uh, until next time, Pacer Nation, we will talk to y'all next, uh, actually tomorrow. I'll be back on tomorrow with Kent Sterling and Tuesday with Fachi and Wednesday with Tyler Smith. So we've got a nice set of podcasts coming up for you, just talking all things Indiana. And uh, if you haven't seen my tweet that I put out, we'll be doing a lot of different things. So mailbag questions next uh, uh, tomorrow with Kent Sterling. And then Tuesday we'll be doing some draft prospects we like for the Pacers trading to the draft. And we'll separate that by tiers, so whether it's 
early, middle, late, different people we like. And then I'm going to have Tyler on, and we're just going to kind of have a similar conversation that me and Mark had, just kind of get Tyler's thoughts on everything going on this offseason. So until next time, Pacer Nation, peace out. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.